0: How about that? (laughs) Well, Well, we have one working. All right, if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter uh, 2, verses 37 to 41 is where we're going to be at, but I want to introduce everything, and so I want to talk a little bit about chapter 1 and 2 before that happens. So if you just hold your place there, we will get to that point. At some point in the morning. Last week, what, what was the takeaway? What did I tell you? Sowing seeds. Sowing seeds, but what did I say? I said, grow the ground you're around. Grow the ground you're around. Spread the seeds around to the ground you're around. This week is kind of a follow-up with that because I want to talk about this message that, um, that we have to share with other people. And so I, I want to open up with this story. Um, about two years ago, this Tuesday, my life became overwhelmed. It was overwhelmed because two years ago, on this Tuesday, is March tenth, and that was the day they discovered my mom lying halfway in the doorway to her garage with a brain bleed, and she was taken to the hospital and for like the next month. My life was hectic. It was overwhelmed. It was coming, going to work. It was coming home, spending a little bit of time with my family, and then going to the hospital for an hour, two hours at a time to see my mom, to spend time with her, to talk to her, because that's what they wanted us to do, and, and see how she responded. and. and so sometimes I wouldn't get to the hospital till nine o'clock at night, mm. you know, just because of life. And then the responsibilities were all on me because I was her power of attorney. I was her, uh, the the person that did the will, the the executor. I, I had to do everything, and so my life was overwhelmed, overwhelmed with time consumption that I didn't have necessarily. Overwhelmed with the thought of having to take care of all my mom's finances, to pay all of her bills, to take care of everything. Not, Not just mine, but hers. And then when everything was done, my life was overwhelmed with having to distribute the estate to take care of the estate and make sure everything was taken care of. It was an overwhelming experience in my life. It was just One thing after the other, and it was hard, it was (laughs) trying, it was hurtful, a little bit of anxiety, but mainly overwhelming with the thought process of all this. And as I read chapter 1 and 2 of Acts, I can't help but to think that that is the same scene that these disciples have. Because in chapter 1, Jesus is, con- is there with them. And he's standing there telling them that he's about to go. And, and he says to them to go out into all the world. To make disciples in Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth. Do, do what I've been telling you to do. Live like I've been telling you to live. Do what I've been doing. And then he ascends up into the clouds. And that's it. From the clouds, and they can't see him anymore. And they're just standing there gazing up in the sky. And two angels come beside them, 120 of them, we think, and, and say, why are you standing here? Why are you still don't you know you need to go back and wait where he told you to wait? Because the same Jesus, this, 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 he's coming back again in the way you saw him. But it's not today. It's time for you to head on back. And, and this man that they've spent the last three years with, this, this man that was more than just a man. He was the God man that taught him how to live that was their best friend in life, was gone once again. And they had this great, enormous responsibility placed on them to carry out his message. And I can't help but to think that their lives were overwhelmed, anxious, excited, distraught, I think there's a lot of emotions, but overwhelmed to take up his mantle, to take up his cross, to take up their cross, and to follow him. And as you read chapter one, you see Peter, when they are up there in the room, it says that all the disciples and the women, it points out the women, and the mother of Jesus, Mary, And his brothers, James, Jude, whoever else was there, were all there together, 120 of them. And Peter stands up in the crowd. And I kind of get the idea that they're distraught and all that because of what Peter says. He says, it was predestined that one of us was going to betray him, Judas. Now, we have to get together. We have to get our act together and pick somebody else out that has been a witness Ever since the beginning, ever since the baptism, we need to bring another witness on. And so it says that they cast lots, and the lots fell to Matthias. And so he became one of the 12. And then in chapter 2, you see this amazing event happen. You hear this gushing, roaring sound come into Jerusalem. And this overwhelming feeling amen the sound you couldn't ignore it was a whirlwind uh, it, it pictures it as a whirlwind and then all of a sudden where they're at these 120 people it says that they had tongues like a tongue of fire it says that the spirit that Jesus Christ had said was going to come has come to them infiltrating their heart and life And it says that they began to speak in many languages. When I I read, read it, it's a lot of languages. But something else happens. As they're experiencing all this, this commotion that's going on has created quite a bit of stir in Jerusalem. These people are coming out, coming from where they're at. Wanting to find out what's going on. And you have this whole crowd of people from different lands all over that have been in Jerusalem for Passover or whatever else. And standing there hearing their own tongues. Somebody speaking. And that's kind of where we pick up in 37. So let's look at this verse by verse. It says, when they heard this, the crowd there pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? What did they hear? What did these people hear? This is a very important question. What did they hear? Well, here's what they heard. They heard in their own tongue, and there's at least 16 different languages going on at the same time. In their own native language that they're hearing, they heard Peter speaking from Wherever it was at, probably the steps or somewhere where a mass crowd could be. And there was a massive crowd around. And I'll get to that later on. But they're hearing in their own language what Peter's saying. And Peter's saying this. You people of Jerusalem, you're coming here. You're seeing this amazing event happen. But let me tell you something. An amazing event happened about 50 days ago. You crucified this man that lived among you, that performed all these miracles, that lived among you, and you crucified him on this cross. Now, this man that you crucified, his name was Jesus Christ, and he is, in fact, the son of God because God raised him up from the dead in three days. Now, you're responsible for this crucifixion. Not only that, you are responsible... For the wrath of God that's going to come on your life. Plain as day, you are accountable for what you've done. And in that hearing, it says that the Holy Spirit pierced their hearts. It was a real feeling. They were convicted about what they heard. They were convicted about the Holy Spirit working in their heart. Working in their life. And all these events that are taking place. And the Holy Spirit is beginning to work in their life. And as that unfolds, it says that (coughs) they ask a question. What should we do? It's a great question. And and, and I find it amazing a couple things that I want to point out. When these people are standing here hearing their own language. Being taught by Peter, they look at all these people and they say, these are just Galileans. That's a derogatory term, by the way. Well, not totally derogatory, but it wasn't an appealing term. It would be like me when I lived in Georgia saying, you, Alabama, or Alabamian, or whatever you call it. Or when I lived in Virginia, you're from West Virginia. Or if you live up here in Michigan, you, Buckeye. That's Ohio, yes, but they're the Buckeyes. I I don't know. Do you still call them Ohioans or something like that? And when I was in South Carolina, it was the North Carolina saying, you South Carolinians. You know, it is is a term you, you use as a set aside for somebody else. Like, you're really not that important. You're really not all that. And so that's what they viewed these people as. But they heard this message in their own language. And they asked this question at least 16 different languages. And they asked this question, what should we do? It's a great question to ask, by the way. It's a great question to ask. It's a question that I find in the Bible, many people ask. It's a question Paul asked when he was converted in Acts 22.10. Lord, what should I do? It's the same question the Philippian jailer asked when all the people were still in the jail, but the cells were opened up. And Paul and Silas cries out to the jailer, have no worries, nobody left, nobody escaped, we're all here, you're not going to get in trouble, and he's bowed and he's breaking, and he asks him, what should I do to be saved? What should I do? And that is the question these people are asking. What should I do? It's a question you asked, when you're convicted. It's a question you ask when you're convicted. It's a question I asked when I was convicted. It's a question we all should have asked when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit that we're not believers. We're not Christians. We're not somebody that has taken up the mail of Jesus Christ. And Paul, I mean Peter, in verse 38, gives us a great answer. And here's what he says. He says this. He says, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Wow, what an amazing response out of Peter. I just love the response. He says, to repent. It means to change your current thought process. To change what you think about Jesus Christ. It means to look at your life and say, I don't meet up to this standard, and I have to turn my life around. It means changing the way you think in your head and heart about Jesus Christ. It means living life differently than what you're currently doing. It means make a total U-turn in your life from where you're going and head in the opposite direction. You can go over it, but that essentially is what it means. It means to turn your life around, guys. To think differently about Jesus Christ, to have a different thought process about him, have a different heart process about him, and to think differently and to actually live differently because of what you're hearing, of what you're hearing about Jesus Christ. To have your life changed. And what I think about is, is a courtroom. If I'm in a courtroom and I'm guilty and I'm sitting there and I know I'm guilty and I have this judge who's looking at me and he's the case has been presented to him and he's looking down at me about to judge me and he says, you are guilty. That is the same thing. I know I'm guilty. I know I am totally what the lawyer said I am. I've done the crime. And the judge is about, to, there is panic. There is Anxiety, there is stress. But there's also a sense of, I know when I'm getting what I deserve. And that's what conviction is. And that's what repentance is. is me telling the judge, I deserve what I've, I'm about to get. And acknowledging that I need to have a different viewpoint than what I've had. And so they, he tells them to repent. To accept God's forgiveness on your life because Jesus Christ, when he died 50 days ago, he died for you. He died so that you didn't have to be like this anymore. He died so that you didn't have to live a life where you're overwhelmed by all these rules and regulations in life to try to meet God's standard. But then he says to also be baptized. Now, this is very interesting why he tells them this. Because for the Jew, if you're going to be baptized, that means you're saying, I, I identify with Jesus Christ. Well, and today, we don't think too much about that. But we've got to remember about this culture. When they are about to be baptized, they're basically saying, hey, i got a lot of friends. i got a lot of family I love. I'm about to be disowned by everyone. My whole family that I love, all my friends that I care about, if they don't believe the same thing about Jesus Christ that I believe, and I get baptized because I'm truly being a believer, they're going to consider me dead. They're going to look at me and say, We're having no part of you. Because they considered Jesus Christ to be a blasphemer, and they had no part of wanting to have anything to do with this man. And yet, when he says, Repent and be baptized. He's saying, turn your life around, tell everyone you know you're following this man. The one that they considered crazy, a blasphemer, the one that they considered a rebel against the Jewish law. You're going to identify with him. You're going to say, I'm his follower. And you're going to tell your family, your friends, and everybody else, "I'm following him," and they're going to consider you dead in their life. They're not going to hang around you. If you have parents that are rich, they're not going to leave you any money in their will. Your life is going to be totally different, but that's the price you're going to have to. Pay. And so he says, you have to be baptized, not because you need to be saved, but that is the extreme you need to go to in your faith of Jesus Christ. That's true salvation because it's that extreme. It's not just being convicted. It's not just necessarily being even converted and changed in your mind, but it is saying, throwing it all down. I identify with Jesus Christ. And that's why we baptize people today so that they can identify with Jesus Christ. But the baptisms that we do today had nothing on this kind of baptism because it was literally a separation from everybody, everyone you know and taking up a new life with a new group of people. And so he says, you know, to... to be baptized to repent in the name of Jesus Christ, because He has forgiven your sin. And he says, when you take up this mantle, when you take up this mantle of Jesus Christ, something's going to happen. The power of the Holy Spirit, that, that whirlwind that you heard when you came into town, is going to invade your life. The, the tongues that you saw happening going to evade your life. It's going to give you the power. It's going to give you the power to stand up when you don't feel like you can stand. It's going to give you the power when you feel like your life is overwhelmed, just like the disciples were before the Holy Spirit came. It's going to give you the power to stand when you don't feel like it. It's going to give you the power to communicate to people when you don't feel like you have the ability. And even when you don't have the ability because of a different language it's going to give you the ability to communicate the message of jesus christ to your family to your friends and to other people and the holy spirit will come in your life and then he says something else he says for the promise for you speaking about the holy spirit and for your children and who all are far off and he goes back to 38 and he's talking about the holy spirit and he says the holy spirit has been promised for a long time in the old testament but it's now here and it's for you that believe. But not just for you. It's for your kids as they believe. But Not just for the kids. He says for the entire world. It's for the entire Gentile nation. You, know, you see, the Jews, they, they perceive themselves as better than all the other nations because they were the chosen nation. They were the chosen nation of God. And they had this attitude that we are God's called. But to hear the fact that this Holy Spirit was coming and was not just reserved for them, but reserved for all who believed and called out to Jesus Christ was something new and unexplainable to them. But that was it. Peter said, it's not just for you. It's not just for your children. It's for everyone. It's for the entire world, for all the Gentiles to receive, for all those that are far off, as many as the Lord's, our God, will call. As the Lord calls, you know there's part of salvation where there is no salvation if God doesn't call. Let's let's I don't to get into this this morning, but. There is no conversion of the soul if God does not reach out and call that person. You see, that's what Peter's saying. There is a responsibility from God to call an individual. But on verse 21, it also says that everyone has a free will to accept that call. Now, I believe God's call is universal. It goes out to everyone. I believe that he calls out to everyone. For salvation. But because of who we are, because of our own sinfulness, not all people respond to that call that he gives. And the people reject it. But make no make no mistake about it. The Bible is very clear that man on his own would not ever look after God, would not ever seek after God, would not try to even look and find God. But that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, God has called out. In verse 21, the same chapter, he also says, it is your responsibility to follow that call. And so in that, God has called out to these people. He's calling. Are you going to respond? When I think about that, that is overwhelming. To know that God is sitting there Calling out to me, calling out to every individual, calling out to specific people to saying, hey, I'm here. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. That is a message. That is the love of God that penetrates right to the spirit and the soul of an individual. And it's for all of us. But, like in verse 21, we have to respond. And then, as he goes down in verse 40, he says, With many words he testified and strongly urged him, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. This, this is the message Peter was giving. You're in a corrupt generation. You need to follow God. He was still plugging away at the message that he just gave. Plugging away at these people. Urging them on to believe because he saw the need for (coughs) Jesus Christ in their life. Plugging away. Plugging at them. You know, sometimes when we're out sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, we have to keep at it. When we're out there sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ with people, sometimes we have to keep at it just like these guys, just like Peter. Because you know, when you talk to somebody about Christ, they might not want to hear what you're saying at first. They might not want to accept what you're saying, but we need to keep plugging at them, plugging at them, letting them know that, hey, Jesus loves you. He died for you. You're a sinner. You are in the process of a sinning state. You are displeasing to God. And at one point in your life, at some point in day in your life, you're going to face the wrath of God. And we need to keep plugging at it with them. It's a principle about evangelism. Show them their sin and judgment and give them the whole truth. Full repentance. You know, nobody builds a tower on intelligence who doesn't first sit down and count the cost. Let people know exactly what they're doing. And when they come to Jesus Christ from beginning to end, let them know, hey, we're not acceptable to God. Our life isn't acceptable to God. The way we currently live isn't acceptable to God if we're lost. Nobody wants to hear that message, but that is the exact message Peter gave. Out of those people sitting there that day, how many of those want be told, you are responsible for the death of Jesus? You are going to suffer the wrath of God. How many people wanted to hear that? None. How many people heard it? Probably about 100,000 people. It's not a popular message. It's not a message that people want to hear. But it is the only message that will bring about conviction in a person's life. It is the only message because it is the truth. You see, when Peter was preaching this message, this is this is your takeaway. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you now. This is the, the takeaway that I want to give you. And, and, and I'm going to give it to you now, and I'm going to follow back up with it at the end. It is the power and truth display our proof. It is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture work together to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is nothing you or I do that bring people to that conclusion. It is strictly the Holy Spirit working in their life and the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture. If you don't give somebody the truth of Scripture, they're not getting salvation. They're not getting what it means. If if the Holy Spirit's not working in their life because they've rejected it, they're not getting the full effect. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture for somebody to be converted. And and so that's what he's saying. And so for those that accepted his message, they were baptized. And it says that that day 3,000 people were added to the church. 3,000 people. Now that is an amazing story. 3,000 people heard how bad they were, how bad their life is, what they did to this man Jesus Christ. And that they had to betray everything they knew, that they had to live differently and cut their whole family off, not themselves, but they were going to be cut off. They were told, you had to do all that. And it says that that day, 3,000 of them just weren't saved. They were baptized, meaning I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to follow what you said. I'm considering everything lost in my life to follow this message that you gave me. It's all over for my life. And I'm following it. And it says that they stayed faithful. And if you look further in chapter 2, it says that the church multiplied daily. <laughs> 100,000 people standing there in, in, in that area. We don't know the exact number, but it's upwards to 100,000 people. could be hearing this message. Only 3,000 re- responded. That's how tough that message is. Remember what I talked about last week? I said, Grow the ground you're around. I said, There's going to be some rough soil here. There's going to be pavement here. There's going to be thorns and thistles here. And then the bountiful harvest. These 3,000 people, that's the bountiful harvest. The other 93,000, 7,000 people that weren't there, different souls. Different souls. But that's how it works. That's how the message of Jesus Christ works. It's sawing the ground you're around and it is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in a life and the truth of Scripture to reveal to them that they need Jesus Christ. You know, without conviction, there is no one coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So there's some people that in life that, that I've talked to, they can't remember anything that happened to them when they were a child. They can't remember but they said, I said a prayer. And, and so I'll get in further with them and it comes out, you know, I was all happy when I got saved. You know, it was a joyous time for me. I'm sitting here thinking, man, that's a total different experience than I've had. It's a total different experience. It's a total different experience than I've seen out my daughter and other people. You know, when you come to know Jesus Christ, there is a firm conviction in your life that you don't match up with Jesus Christ. There is a brokenness in your life because you have identified with the fact that I'm totally unworthy. I am so broken over what I currently am that I am utterly guilty about my life. And I reach out in desperation to Jesus Christ. That is conviction. That is what happens. It's so of this happiness, oh, I'm saved. It is, I am utterly convicted about my life. I have to accept Christ so that I can be different and live up to the standard that the Holy Spirit inside of me is going to live out. It's not the standard that I can live out any day. It's a standard that the Holy Spirit through me will live out. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, I am accepted by God now. And it is a relief that I am now accepted by God. That's it. That's what these people saw. That's what Peter described. Mr. Hahn, Arrived at the Salvation Army. He had nothing. At the age of 78, he had been living in a garage. He had limited access to even a toilet, and his, was in, in hel- his health was deteriorating. His only possession were the clothes he was wearing. I felt like I'd hit rock bottom, he told others through a translator. I felt very hopeless. I felt like there wasn't much for me to live for. Lieutenant Lydia Hong and her husband, Lieutenant Sean Lee, had only recently been appointed to the Sydney's Huntsville Corps as associate officers for the Salvation Army, focusing on the Chinese ministries when they came to cross Mr. Han. He had been told that the Salvation Army might be able to help. He had ended up staying in a hotel for three weeks and Lieutenant Hong said after there was given government housing, but it had nothing in it. he He didn't even have a mattress or anything. The Huntsville Corps rallied around Mr. Han with members scouring furniture and looking for furniture and driving many kilometers to collect and deliver various items for his new home. And we got word out to the community that he needed certain things because there was nothing in the house to begin with. Lieutenant Hong said he needed a microwave and a washing machine and things like that. And gradually they all appeared in his house. Mr. Hong, now three is from China. Where welfare and charity is not prevalent, so it was overwhelming for him to experience strangers caring for him and being so generous. He said, I feel very touched when I think about it. And he said, through the connection with the Salvation Army, Mr. Hahn began attending Hirschville Corps, meeting the Salvos, which the Salvation Army has given me a purpose. And he said, I have come to know the Lord through the Salvation Army. Coming to know the Lord, especially through the love and care expressed by the brothers and sisters at Hertzville Salvation Army, has changed my internal life. I now understand that there is someone looking after me, and it's God. I feel the hope and the safety because of that. And since coming to this faith, the world looks more friendly. I used to think that no one lived around me or cared about anything that was going on with me. But now I know that there are brothers and sisters that care and will provide and help when life becomes difficult. And I know that from that's from the love of God. His life was overwhelmed. Overwhelming just doesn't happen to people that that are trying to follow God and and they're, you know, are sensing having to take up this mantle. And the Holy Spirit comes in and empowers them. Overwhelmed is for people that are living life without the Holy Spirit. The, the, the disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit in their life when, when they're talking there in chapter 1. It's an overwhelming existence people live in, and they need Jesus Christ. And so, so some of the things that I thought about we could take away from this is if you're not a believer, This is what you need to know. There is a God that loves you in heaven that he is calling out to you. That even though you might be overwhelmed with your life right now, it is up to you to respond to him. Part of your response is being so convicted that I am unacceptable God. The other part is your response to accept Jesus Christ in faith and to have a new way of thinking about Christ. Saying to yourself, I am okay with identifying with Christ no matter the no matter the cost. And for those of you that are believers, you might be thinking to yourself and think, you know, this is kind of an overwhelming thing to sit here and listen to a message like this and know that, that I might be responsible or I have to go share the message of Jesus Christ with somebody. How many of you that are believers think that sharing the message of Jesus Christ with somebody else is an overwhelming experience? You can raise your hands. I think that way sometimes. We have a couple people that feel that way. The rest of you are extroverts, and you have no problem doing it. Good for you. (laughs) I am so glad everybody in here is sharing their faith with Jesus Christ with somebody tomorrow. Or today when they go out to lunch. Sometimes this is an overwhelming thing I think about. That I am given charge to share the message of Jesus Christ with somebody I don't even know, or somebody I know and love. And and when I think about that, I think about what the scripture in this passage teaches me. In the passage before, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of scripture. My part is only a vessel. My part is only a spokesman. My part is only a mouthpiece for that. I have no other part in somebody becoming convicted and turning their life around to Jesus Christ. I have no other part. Showing them the love of God and then telling them, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in their life, the truth of Scripture. Do you know that's all you need to know to share the gospel message with somebody? The truth of Scripture. You don't have to worry about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to work in their life. You don't have to worry about the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is going to work in their life. You just have to say, I'm going to be a willing vessel and speak the truth to them in love. That is all you need. You're like, well, I have to come up with a good explanation because of the hope that lies within you. Baloney. You don't have to come up with a good reason. You just have to tell them the truth. That Jesus Christ loves them. That Jesus Christ died for them. That if they don't accept Jesus Christ, there's going to be a time that they're going to suffer from the wrath of God. And they're going to spend eternity in hell. That's the truth of scripture. That Jesus Christ loves them. And he's calling out to them. And he's giving them a chance to respond. That's the truth. doesn't take anything more than that. When you come with all these fads, all these ideas, all these ways of doing it. And in the end, a lot of these fads and ways of doing it convince us that I'm not ready to share the gospel with somebody. I mean, if you read a pamphlet or something that said, this is how you share the gospel <coughs> message of Jesus Christ with somebody, and you thought to yourself, I can't do that. I have. I mean, I've seen these cubes that you mess around with. It's kind of like a Rubik's Cube, and you're sitting there. Man, if I start doing this thing, I'm going to mess it up, and they're not going to get saved. And you throw it down, and you're thinking, man, this is just too confusing. How many of you been there? I have. How many of you been there? You know, you're looking at all these things and you're just like, man, there's just no way. I just don't know enough verses. I mean you thought that. How many of you have ever thought, I just don't know enough verses in the Bible to help somebody get saved? How many of you been there? How many of you say, man, I just don't have any idea. If I, I'm I'm gonna mess it up and then that's gonna be it. They'll never get saved because of me. Hold your hand up. I've been there. Listen, if you can tell them the truth of Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to work in their life, that's all you have to do. That is all you have to do, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody. And as we talked about last week, not everybody's going to respond. There's going to be some people that will never respond. They're on that hard ground. They'll never come to Jesus Christ. But does that mean we don't take the message to them? No. They still have to hear that message because we're just scattering seed everywhere. What about the person that has the hard heart and won't ever fully grow up in Jesus Christ? Do I still take the message? Yes. Do I still take the person, the message that has the thorns and thistles and cares more about this life than the life beyond? Yes. Do I take the message? Because this is where it's really worth it. To the one that's on the fertile ground and they grow up and they sprout up and they produce and reproduce and reproduce. Yes. They all need to hear it. They all need the truth of scripture that you can give and the power of the Holy Spirit work in their life. And that's how people come to know Jesus Christ. And we are nothing more than a vessel of the Holy Spirit that will work through to share the truth of Scripture and all responsibility of conviction come from the Holy Spirit and from the Word of God and nothing else is required of us. Whew. You can wipe your brow. You can say, thank goodness because I couldn't do anything more than that. You don't need to do anything more. The Apostle Peter standing up there didn't give anything more. He didn't try to convince anybody. He didn't try to tell them, you know, your way is wrong. He didn't do anything other than tell the truth of scripture. And if they don't respond to that, let me tell you why. The there was an illustration that Jesus that, that Jesus was talking, uh, he used a story about this rich man and Lazarus. And Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, paradise when he died. And those rich men went to hell when he died. And there is this, this uh, conversation that happens between Abraham and this rich man. He says, send Lazarus to go and tell my brother so they don't have to come to this fiery place, this place of torment. And, and Abraham said to him, they have the prophets. They don't need Lazarus to go back. They have the truth. If the truth doesn't convert them, one coming from the dead is not going to do it. That's That's the truth. The truth of Scripture. It's all you need to share the gospel message with people. And so sometime soon, We are going to, uh, I'm going to bring in somebody on a Saturday, and we're going to do this evangelism training class. And and I've already talked to the guy, or one of the guys that can put us in touch with this. And so one of my things is, you know, I want us to be able to share the gospel message with people. Because that's my heart and passion, because that's Jesus' heart and passion. To share the message, his undying, never-ending message that he is seeking and saving the lost. I want everybody in here to be able to say, man, I have told somebody about Jesus Christ. They might not respond to it, but I was able to tell them because I love them and I love Jesus Christ. And I want to share that message with somebody. And so I'm working with an individual to come down here and do a Saturday training at some point to help you. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take some people out and we're going to go on the street somewhere, probably in St. Joe's or something like that. We'll travel over there. With this individual and do some street witnessing. Now, how many of you have ever done anything like that? I have. I have. That's rough, right there. When I was in at Liberty, we, you know, I had some friends that did it every Friday night, and it was amazing to go out there. That I, you know, when I got was able to get to go out and just share the gospel with people, to tell them that Jesus Christ loves them, that He died for them, and that. He came so they could spend eternity with him. It's an amazing thing to be able to do that with some people. So we want to provide you that training and that ability to do that. So uh, you'll be hearing announcements about that in the coming, coming weeks. And I ask that you would think about it. Because we all need to share the reason for the hope in us. Just like Peter did. Life is overwhelming. Sometimes sharing the gospel can be overwhelming. Sometimes the people you're sharing the gospel with have an overwhelmed life, and they need the gospel. They need the Holy Spirit working in their life, moving in their life to give them the ability to overcome that overwhelmness, just like I did. You know, my life was overwhelmed two years ago, but I had the Holy Spirit living in me to guide me through everything so that my life wasn't a total loss, so that my life, I knew, had strength and had a reason. wasn't wrapped up in my mom. wasn't wrapped up in loved ones. was wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Let us pray, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the message that you have here about Peter sharing the good news to the people in Israel, the people that had rejected and crucified Jesus Christ, and yet. They're confronted with the truth of who they really are. They respond. We pray, Father, for the individuals that are in here that don't know you, that have never come to a convicting place in their life where they've accepted you, that you will reach out to them with your Holy Spirit and work in their heart to convict them. Show them their need for Christ. For the others that are in here. That are believers. That that are overwhelmed with the thought. Of even trying to share the gospel message. With somebody. I pray Father that you will give them. The strength of the Holy Spirit. To to do that because it's our responsibility. to, to, To live. The power of the Holy Spirit. In their life. And to take the truth of scripture. To somebody else. So that. More people come to know you so that you can actively be seeking a saving in the lost. We thank you, Father, for everything you've done. It's in your name.